Welcome to Strap On Your Boots. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. I have a TEDx alumni here, Lewis Cheney. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. And we're going to be talking about how to say less and be heard more because your your big thing, right? Your website is how to get to the damn point, right? Or get to the damn point. And, and, and tell me, I mean, is this because a lot of people are, you know, taking too long to say what they want to say and, and you want them to just get it out and, and be more concise, more precise is what they're saying? That's a part of it. This is a huge part of it. It's a lot of people, I don't think, realize just how much time they waste and not getting to the damn point. And when they don't realize that they're wasting the time, what happens is, as I tell people, if I reached up and grabbed your wallet and started taking money out and chucking it into a fire, dude, you'd punch me in the nose and grab your wallet. Yeah, don't, do, said, don't hey. do that. Please don't do that. Exactly. <laughs> but if I'm like, hey, you know what? I'd like to waste about an hour of your time. You'd say, okay, here it is. And I think that's what people don't realize is how much time is being wasted of theirs and how much time they're inadvertently wasting other people's simply by not being more concise and getting to the damn point. Makes a lot of sense. And uh, saying less and being heard more, I guess that means choosing your words more carefully. It means, you know, uh, trying to instead of telling a lot. I mean, people people tell me stories, right? I, I was just I was just at my parents' house the other day and some friends of theirs were telling the story how they met. And the story made no sense. It had nothing to do with how they actually met. And we kept saying, well, when did you meet your husband? You know, like, instead of telling the story about, you know, your childhood or whatever. So like, it, it sounds like that's part of it, right? Is 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 trying to avoid the tangents and and sticking to the, the, the you know, the main event, really, what we're, what we're looking for here, right? Pretty much. I mean, if you think about when you're going to tell a story, at least kind of have an idea of what it's going to be. You don't want to ramble. The last thing you want to do is go in unrehearsed because people think, well, I'll just wing it. That's bad, bad, bad idea, particularly in business, particularly if it's something that really matters. If you're telling a story to party, sure, the rambling is going to happen. But the idea is to become a better storyteller in your private world, makes you a better storyteller in your professional world, makes it all much easier to understand, much more concise. And you get those moments, those beats where you have that roller coaster ride of what you're doing rather than everybody sitting there going and and which happens so many times in meetings. So you're recommending people practice what it is they want to tell an employer or a co-founder or a mentor or a business partner or customers. You want you should be practicing what you want to say so that it just comes second nature. You're not, you know, dilly-dallying, you're not stumbling, you're not mumbling. So practice makes perfect. It does. It ab- it absolutely does. It's one of those things I'm not saying you have to be rote. You don't have to have the the pre-programmed I'm going to say this if they say that, you know, I I think about in the eyes of the Terminator when somebody says something, he scrolls to the right responses. You, know? <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to do that. But what you do want to do is you want to be better at being able to be concise and get to the point of what you're saying. But you also want to have that little bit of fluidity in there, which is really good when it comes to impromptu speaking, to be able to stand up. And it goes back to what Toastmasters does. The whole idea of that is if you stand up and you speak impromptu to be able to do that and do it well. And if you combine that, with the prepared stuff, like if you're doing a presentation, then it's going to make it so much better for your audience for them to understand exactly what it is you're wanting to get across to them, and you can engage them more. That's what the key to this is. It's about engagement. Yeah, and it sounds like uh, you're talking about 
relating to people too, right? Like tugging at their emotions and trying to get them to buy into your story by, you know, knowing your audience. So if you're standing in a room full of people and you notice there are a lot of, uh, let's say there's a lot of middle-aged men, right? And maybe you notice a lot of them aren't wearing wedding rings, right? So maybe you think to yourself, well, these people are going to relate to my bad date story. Uh, you know, maybe it's uh, younger women and maybe, you know, they're they're all really well dressed up with really good nails. And th- maybe this salon, this salon uh, story is going to be so basically knowing your audience and, and really trying to get them to maybe laugh at a story that they can relate to. Right. It sounds like. I think that's really interesting. You choose single guys and then go to a salon story. Maybe we should just put those two groups together and see what happens. But... <laughs> a lot of craziness. <laughs> More than likely. It is knowing your audience. That is a, certainly a key part of it is knowing your audience. But you don't have to wait until you get there to do that. Oftentimes, you're going to know ahead of time who you're speaking to, particularly if it's a work environment where you're talking to a client or if you're talking to other coworkers. You know who's in the room. You know who's going to be in the room. So you can play those certain things, but it's, it is one of those things you have to choose what story for what occasion. That is very, very important to do so that you don't put the wrong story in because you have to be sensitive to the audiences there. Maybe you've got a great story that has to do with something kind of sad and tragic, but it doesn't really fit the moment of what you're trying to do. What's your point? What is your, what do you want them to take away from this? What is it that's your call to action for them? What do you want to stir them? Do you want to stir them in their heart with emotions like, you know, fear? Do you want to stir them with, you know, something like making them cry? Do you want them to laugh? Know what your objective is and know what stories you have to go to that so that you connect with them and get those people going, yeah, I understand that. I've had something like that happen in my life. Yeah, it's it's very good point about, you know, do you want them to cry? It's like standing in front of a room and doing a presentation, let's say, about a, a manufactured product that, you know, and, and, and telling these these sad stories of what happened to people. And then this is why we need to do this. You know, this is why we need to change the product to make it more safe. Now, this goes back to, you know, years of me doing presentations in front of investors or, or whatnot and having multiple variations of that presentation for different, you know, types of people. And do you recommend that people also do the same thing, like prepare a speech or a presentation or a PowerPoint for a different variety of, you know, audiences and then practicing those so that you're always ready for a certain audience? I think what you need to do is not so much that. That's not my, my school of thinking on it. I understand that. And if it works for some people, hey, that's great. Go ahead and do it. I'm not saying not to. But if you have things modularly so that you know, okay, I've got a segment here and I can put in one of three or four stories. So you can switch this out and plug something else in. If you've got it staggered that way, then you've got something. You move the blocks around. It's always changing to the audience that you want. So you're not really having to change your core story a lot. You're not having to redo and redefine everything you're doing or reinvent the wheel every time you're giving a presentation, but it's making those key changes in there that fit in. Now, that I do absolutely agree with. I think that's something that's really good to do to keep your audience in tune with you. Like I said, you don't want to give the wrong story to the wrong audience. That's funny that you say it that way because I guess maybe that was kind of what I was doing. Like like the majority of the presentation was a certain, you know, wasn't changed and then right. like the the beginning and the end might have been changed. But then what I did was all those extra modular blocks you're talking about, they would be at the end of the presentation, like the last slide would be the contact. But then at the end of that would be like more slides that I wouldn't show. 
But if somebody started talking about those things, I'd show those slides to be like, oh, I was prepared for that. You know, like, <laughs> so it wasn't See, part of the, yeah, it yeah, wasn't part of the prepared. presentation. <laughs> I like that. I think that's, I think that's great that you had that though, because that did show, I know my audience. And I'm also doing that, which is another thing I teach people is you want to devil's advocate yourself. What kind of questions can come up? What do you anticipate they might ask? And if you've done it a long time and you did that, I just did, you know, doing presentations on the road. I was going to five states over the course of three days, doing like eight presentations over Jesus. the course of a week. And it was kind of crazy, but it was the same presentation. I didn't have to change it much. My audience was the same. But I got to know what kind of questions you're going to ask. So I knew at the end of it, when it was come to the Q&A section, I already anticipated. I know there's going to be somebody ask me this. There's going to be someone ask me this. Having those answers down, whether that's whether you're just telling them outright or you got another portion of a program that you can use that ties to that, as long as you're advanced enough to know, I need to answer these questions and be prepared for it. Have you done this trick as well, where you get that question so many times after doing the presentation so many times that you say, you know what, I'm going to throw that answer into the presentation <laughs> so, because that's what I've done. I've, I've gotten this one question over and over and over and over again by so many people that I'm like, you know what, that's just going to, that belongs in the presentation now. And then that avoids well, that question. I agree if you've got that, do that. But in my particular case, it didn't have to be that way because of the, a lot of the questions were there that would come up were more of the medical nature and I'd have a doctor there with me. So I'd often refer to him with those because it'd be something like, yeah, I'll tell you what, I would love to answer that question for you. And if I couldn't answer it, if my doctor wasn't there, I'd be like, look, I'm not a medical professional because I was talking about stem cells. I will tell you what I do know, but I will recommend and I would give you a phone number. You can call and talk to our doctor. He'll be glad to answer those questions for you. So some of those things I wouldn't address because it was outside of my ballywick to do. Great. And if you were going to recommend to an entrepreneur or a business owner on how to effectively communicate with their customers or their employees, top three things that they should do to say less and, and you know, be able to really hone in on their, their message, what would you recommend? Okay, first thing is let's get rid of those filler killer words. Uh, um, yeah, like, well, but so those things, people, you hear them. And I know if you look at people like Tom Hanks as an actor who will put those into a script because that's natural to say. And it's okay for you doing that like that. But when you're doing it because you just don't know better, what people do not realize is how much time it eats up. And I'll try to be brief on this, but I had a lady that I saw one time on television giving, I don't know, she was doing an interview of some sort with her company that she worked for. She had a five-minute segment. I cut out the person she's talking to and narrowed her down to three minutes and 11 seconds that she spoke in that three minutes and 11 seconds. She used over 70 of these. Well, but so like I cut that down. Oh my she God. Up, I cut it down <laughs> to just the 70 seconds, dude. It's on my Oh my God. You gotta be you kidding me. You won't listen to it for 10 seconds. I promise you it's like nails on a chalkboard. That's insane. You listen to this and it's 37 seconds of time wasted. Now you think about 37 seconds out of Why? three minutes. <laughs> Why so and many ums and buts and likes? Why do you need those? You just take a, take a breath. Take a breath. They, because people think that void has to be filled. Just like right now, if you, and I, if you and I just stop. Oh my God, we didn't speak. And guess just, what? The world didn't stop spinning. <laughs> it's just a pause. It's just a natural pause. I mean, it's one of the things, take a breath. 
right? Instead of saying right. all these, I, I am very cognizant of those filler words. I try my best. I don't think we either of us have used them during this episode. No. I think we're very careful about taking a breath, of, you know, taking a pause and thinking about what you're going to say first. So what's the second tip? The second tip is, and this is one of those things I crack up about, is how people attack meetings. They attack the meetings from the standpoint, I tell you what, let's have just the people that need to be there. Okay, well, duh. <laughs> let's get a two-pizza meeting. Only have enough for a meeting that two people, you know, can be, or that many people can be fed by two pizzas. And then they'll say things like, you know, let's have a standing room only. Okay, so let me get this straight. Now you have a room full of standing people who are pissed off because the pizza's run out and there's people maybe in the room that shouldn't be there to begin with. And you still have a meeting that's going long because why? You didn't bother to train your entire staff how to do a presentation. CEOs and middle management get that. But what I'm trying to get people to understand is teach your whole team because it's not just them that are always giving the presentations. It's not just them that are having to run a meeting. And when you have those things happen, whether that's client facing or in-house, if everybody is trained better, that's going to go slower. And that goes to item number three. When you're doing that presentation, please stop relying on that slide deck and standing there and reading it. Do not stand there and read that. So slide boring. Deck. People it are going to fall asleep. And they do it all the time. And then here's what's really bad. It, it's a self, it just feeds on itself. Here's why. You'll go to a meeting and you'll be like, oh man, that sucked because the guy stood there and read everything. Then what will you do at your next meeting? You'll turn around and create the same show that that guy just did and bore them to tears. Get rid of all of that up there and learn to engage as a human being. As I taught many people when I was teaching reporters and photographers and news how to be, I said, number one rule, be a human being first and think about those people in the crowd and who they are. And that's how you approach them. Before you're a journalist, before you're a photographer, before you're anything, be a human being first. Same thing here when you're doing a presentation. Connect to them. It's other people. Don't stand up yeah. here and spew to them. It's funny. When I started doing presentations for various businesses or startups, I took a page from Steve Book's playbook, uh, Steve Jobs' playbook, where he was very visual, right? His presentations did not have a lot of words on them. So I, I would basically put up literally an image as the first slide, no, no text, and I would tell a story about the image and people weren't looking at the screen. They were looking at me engage with them. And then the second slide would be another image. And I would ask the crowd a question, raise your hand if you did this or raise your hand if you know this. And you see the hands go up and now I'm engaging. And then the third slide, maybe it might be like four words, you know, like be the best you can be or whatever, you know. And, and then right. again, so it's very I, I always tell people be, be more visual in your in your slides than than words because if not like you said you're going to be reading off the screen you know and so you've hit a very key point there that i've told a lot of people i come from a background of working with a camera i spent 16 years with a camera on my shoulder shooting everything from tv news to commercials to working with different stars and stuff things like that shooting stories and I've laughed and told people over the years, if you didn't have photographers at a TV station, you've got a radio station. Right. So we all, we relied so heavily on the vision. And that's what I try to teach them is exactly that. There's a reason why they say pictures are worth a thousand words because they're worth a thousand, a thousand words. words. And exactly. what you were doing, I man, I applaud you for that because that is advanced and that's something that people I don't think get. And it doesn't have to be that generic 
and these just drive me nuts too. When you pull the generic image offline and stick the people in the office right. going, I know. usually create, I usually create the images myself. You right. Know. Are you something that's personal to you? Are you something yeah. that matters? And think about in terms of history. If you look at historically, some of the photos are out there and you think about famous moments in history, you'll see a photo in your head. Whether that's something from, you know, the JFK assassination, you know, one of those Zapruder clip moments, or whether it's the picture of after they had dropped the, the napalm and the, or the, the A-bomb rather, and the little girl's running and right. she's, she's nude and she's burned. You have all these images out there that are visceral and they grab you. And I know I'm working in television news, man, I've seen more stuff than I ever wanted to see. And a lot of things really, really bad, but I can tell you some of those images that I had. That's what grabbed your heart. That's what got your attention. And particularly if I'm doing something or I want to help somebody, those are the images. If you're a nonprofit, those images of who you're helping will do more for you than, than a million words put on that, on that platform. 100%. Absolutely agree. Awesome, man. And where can people find out more about getting to the damn point? Is it <laughs> gettothepoint.com? It's gettothedampoint.com. That is me all day long. They go there. They check out. I've got some couple of videos on there they can look at. My TED Talk is on there if they'd like to check that out. The course is on there because what I've got is I've got a course for this that teaches you that. What's the good thing about it is you don't have to go anywhere to get it. You can sit in your office and at five minutes a day inside of 20 days or so, you'll have the whole thing down. It teaches you everything from how to do things like we're talking about with presentation and speaking to how to deal with media and how to be like this virtually, because it's even worse in the virtual world. You know this, man. You know this. Yep. To keep people's attention in this world now is harder than ever. As a professional speaker, it's difficult to set when you've got people who can sit in their little box like we're setting them now and go, okay, well, I'll think about going out there and feeding my birds in a moment. And they're not really <laughs> I mean, one of the, one of the things I've done and to try to combat that is just try to be hu humorous, try to make people laugh. Because if you get if you're making them laugh and you're keeping things light and fun, they're gonna they're gonna pay attention. Oh, I agree, and it's that roller coaster. You can get serious. You want to hit the emotions, and I forget yeah. what the exact seven are, but there's seven different emotions out there. You want to hit all of them, or some of them. You want to engage them in some way. If you get their attention, and humor is one great way to do it. And if you're a dry person. Man, if you've yeah. got a dry personality and you drop in a joke, you yeah. will knock everybody out on yep. the call. You will absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. rock the house for that. <laughs> love it, man. Well, Lewis, it was a pleasure having you on my show, man. I really loved it, and uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you letting me be here, man. Thank you so much. Awesome. And we'll see everybody in next week's episode. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you learned something today, please support this podcast by subscribing to it, sharing it with your friends, and leaving a five-star review. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org, where you'll find information about my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, available on Amazon, as well as my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy or Skillshare. I'll see you at next week's episode.